When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. She's a fashion blogger, model, and entrepreneur. She's amazing. The latest tips on fashion, beauty, wellness, travel, and her lifestyle. And now, here's the founder and creator of Not Basic Blonde, Olasha. Hi loves, welcome back to another episode of Not Basic Blonde podcast. Today I have a very special guest and his story will blow your mind. Kevin Hines is my guest. He's a storyteller, best-selling author, global speaker, and award-winning documentary filmmaker. In the year 2000, Kevin attempted to take his life by jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. Many factors contributed to his miraculous survival and you will find out about all these factors in this episode so it's tremendous story guys make sure to listen the whole episode and also kevin now travels the world sharing his story of hope healing and recovery while teaching people of all ages the art of wellness and the ability to survive pain with true resilience so his motto is Hashtag be here tomorrow and every day after that. So in this episode, Kevin and I are discussing so many important topics. We are raising awareness about suicide prevention. We are also talking about how to stay mentally healthy, how to help someone who is struggling and so much more. But before we dive in, don't forget to subscribe, rate and review Not Basic Blonde podcast on Apple Podcasts. Hi, Kevin. So glad to have you on my podcast. How are you today? I'm doing well. Nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you. I saw your story first on Ad My Let Show, and I was amazed, and I I was just shocked by how you, being 19 years old, jumped off, attempted to suicide, jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge, and survived. And you used all these obstacles and to inspiring thousands and thousands of people every day. I can't wait uh, for you to share your story. So please tell us about yourself and how did it all happen? Sure, of course. Yeah, so, uh, well, you know, any good story has got to start from the beginning, right? So I was born in abject poverty. I was born to biological parents. I'm adopted who, uh, after they had me and my brother, they succumbed to substance use disorder, alcohol and drugs. And they would end up tragically dying because of alcohol, drugs, and what we know as mental illness, what I call brain pain, 
or brain disease. My birth parents loved my brother and I, but they couldn't take care of us. They had no money. They had barely had a home. We lived in and out of crack motels. And these are, you know, I don't know if you know this, but these are the kind of places in America that if you, you pay by the hour and if you don't, you're out. And, and mom and dad did whatever they had to do on that hour by that hour to keep a roof over our heads. They didn't neglect us because they didn't love us. They neglected us and left us unattended every day to go do score and sell drugs to keep us safe, which is incredible in itself. And one day, one motel clerk had enough. He had enough of our screams and cries of that neglect, and he called the police. And the police came in with Child Protective Services, and they swooped us up, and they placed us into the foster care system. And that system, as you know, is broken. And we bounced around from home to home, new mom and dad every couple of days or weeks, no stability, very often neglect in those homes. And in one of those homes, filled with neglect, my only full-blooded brother died. Uh, we both got bronchitis, the same disease, and he died. He was the closest person to me. I saw, felt, heard, touched, and smelled him and knew him every day. And he just disappeared. I immediately developed a severe detachment disorder from reality and, and these the abandonment issues that I still deal with today. To put it even bluntly, every single time, even now, that somebody I love dies, I feel like they're leaving me on purpose and I, I just can't shake it. I do therapy for it, but no matter how much therapy I do, every time somebody I love passes away, I feel this, this, uh, this massive hole in my heart. I'm working on it. I'm a work in progress, as they say. So, so that was my beginning. That's where my life began. I can tell you that I've scored a nine on the ACE exams, adverse childhood experiences. Unlike my poor brother, and I want to name him here. His name is Jordash. My brother Jordash passed away. But unlike him, I got lucky. I, 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 I got my way into my first great foster home. And the foster home I got to be in was... Uh, the foster parents were Peter and Deborah Muller. And Peter was in the army. Debbie was a housewife. They were a transitional home for kids. Many kids at the same time, boys and girls of all ages, absolute pandemonium in their household. But they loved their foster children like they were their own. They were incredible. And one amazing day, this beautiful young woman named Deborah Joan Hines walked in their door. And that would set the tone for the rest of my life up until my suicide attempt. Because even though I had this horrible infancy, I had a beautiful childhood and adolescence. Patrick and Deborah Hines plucked me from obscurity and saved my life. They took in three kids from three separate homes into one household and made a melting pot of a family. We didn't look alike, and you know, people noticed. I'm mixed. My background is that my, my birth father, Martino, was half Mexican and half Italian. My birth mother, Marcia, hailed from James Bond Island, Jamaica. She was Jamaican, Black, African, Arawak, Indian, Portuguese, Scottish, Irish, English, and Sephardic Jew. And, and my birth parents, uh, they gave me that. 
I'll never, and I I don't take that lightly. I I, I'm grateful for my heritage. It means the world to me because I didn't know what I was for so long up until even college. I didn't know. And then I, I, I end up, and this is, this is the silver lining. I end up meeting my biological family. Now my birth mom and dad had long passed very tragically from their disease, but I got to meet uh, a half sister I didn't know I had, a half brother I didn't know I had who had the, who has shared the same birthday as me. I got to meet all of my cousins who live in the same state that I live in today. It's incredible, and that was by accident, not not that was by chance. We didn't plan that. I got to meet all of them. I'm going to spend Christmas Eve with all of them, um, and they look like me. You know, it's incredible. I never had that growing up. But anyway, back to the point at hand. So I grew up in the Heinz family and Pat and Debbie Heinz saved my life. Give me the world. And, you know, my my brother's black. My sister's white. I'm mixed. Pat and Debbie are Irish and German. I always say people were confused. You know, they didn't know what the hell was going on when they saw us. And and, and let me be even more clear. When, 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 we would, when we would go to restaurants, there were some restaurants in California that would not allow us to sit down and eat at night as a family because of what we look like. Instead of taking it personally, we got up, went somewhere else, ate something else. You know, we we were happy with the beautiful family we created, that Pat and Debbie had created. Growing up, I honestly believed nothing could go sideways from this point. I thought I'd grow up, I'd get into that school my dad's always talking about, get that great job my parents are always speaking of and find success because I've been given opportunity like so many American children and children in the world don't get the privilege of having, right? Opportunity and a chance. Jordash had no opportunity. Jordash had no chance. He died. But I did. But even with that chance, at 17 and a half, my brain broke. I had a complete mental breakdown in front of 1,200 people in a theater show I was performing in. I ended up seeing a psychiatrist. That doctor ended up being on methamphetamines the entire time. He treated me and his other patients. He was considered one of the best in his field. He would take his life. My favorite teacher, may he rest in peace, John Fennell. He was my hero. He was my mentor. He was one of my greatest friends. I looked at him as a second father figure. He would take his life. But that would only be the first two of 16 people I care about deeply that I would lose to suicide. I get to this point in my life where I'm battling and living with bipolar depression. I don't want to believe it. I don't want to admit it. So I'm lying to myself the whole time. You don't have this disease. You're not flawed. I looked at it the wrong way. We call what I was doing to myself and what other people were doing to me and my family and friends group stigma. But that's that's too light of a word. That word is antiquated. The word is discrimination. I discriminated against myself and people around me discriminated against me because of brain pain. But your brain is the single most powerful organ you wield. It's mostly on automatic mode, controls every action, inaction we take, every decision and indecision. And for lack of a better way of saying it, if your brain malfunctions, there goes the rest of you. My brain was broken, just like so many brains are broken all around the world. And the reason people whose brains are broken don't talk about it openly is because of that discrimination we call stigma. The reason they don't say the words I need now every time they're suicidal 
instead they go attempt or they die is because of fear of being judged. So let's wipe that off the face of the earth, that fear. Let's take that judgment away and let's have every sane person in America and around the world who's doing well mentally, who has a good and safe brain, look at people in pain and say, I got your back. I'm here for you. What do you need from me? It's all too easy to say you're not alone to someone. It's a lot harder to say, I, I know what it's like to be alone. I know what it's like to feel that pain. I will walk with you in that pain. I am with you. I've got you. That's a whole different ballgame. And it's easy to say, check on your strong friends who are doing, who seem like they're doing well. But what do you actually want to do? You want to call them. You want to text them. You want to FaceTime them. You want, you want to see their faces. And you want to say, hey, what do you need from me right now to stay right here? Do you need me to come over? Do you need me to cross a state line and physically be there for you? Or are you in such a dangerous place that we need to get you to a hospital? And the tragic part about that option is it's scary. It can be stressful beyond belief. It can be violent. The stressful part about that option is that you might only get in for 72 hours and your problem is definitely not fixed by then. I grew up in that household. I developed bipolar depression. And because of that disease, I attempted to take my life in a way that is 99.9% .9 fatal. 99.9% of the people that have leapt off that bridge are gone forever. I get the privilege of being here with you right now. I live in the present. I'm truly grateful for every millisecond of this life. And right now, I'm grateful for you interviewing me on this podcast. I'm amazed by your story and so sorry you had to go through so much. And also by you being also saved from such a tragedy, I think you had way bigger purpose in life to inspire other people and share it with the world. So it wasn't definitely your time to go. And it, it was crazy. Like, I'm just shook by the story. And mental issues in U.S. are so common and so unspoken. Like, we are always quiet about these issues. And the thing is, we only talk about suicide. Sometimes there are suicide, like, awareness months or suicide, like, awareness day. We only talk on, about those days. But what about the rest of the life? People struggle every day and they struggle, like, terribly and they can't get any help but okay help in america about mental health it's it's a little bit fucked up because i went myself through panic attacks anxiety and they diagnosed me with depression i am never depressed i'm i just had anxiety and panic attacks and i had to take like antidepressants for it and it was I grew up in Ukraine. And for me, the stigma around just antidepressants or any brain meds, what they call, um, is just terrible because it's like basically you're mentally sick, which you're not. But, you know, the stigma around this, the mental health is the worst. And when I had to take it, when I had to see psychiatrists and I had to see therapists, it, for me, it was like, traumatic because like I'm a totally healthy person but I have to see 
psychiatrist. This is like for you. Th- you would think it's only for mentally ill people. I mean, not knowing you would think that, but I mean, of course, I changed my perspective on it, and I I thought like I I mean I kind of told myself if I would do it sooner, I wouldn't have to suffer that long because I had anxiety, but it happened to me only and what they told me is uh whole my life I was fine but only like three four years it happened to me and you know I went to a point where I couldn't eat I couldn't be by myself I couldn't like live so I really need help and because I it was because of the burnout and toxic relationships I had and all the stress that I had so I guess it all piled up and created that for me but mental health in us it's so unspoken and they don't rush to help you even most of the insurance companies they have wait with psychiatrists for like two three weeks to see them and what are you supposed to do before that they were like oh just take xanax no i don't want to take xanax i want actual help i want somebody to tell me how can i navigate from this feeling that i have to the normal feeling and what can i do i don't want to take medicine and I don't want to get used to it, but like, what are the other ways? <laughs> and the person told me, I found out later that my therapist was on antidepressants and other, med- other meds for 15 years himself. So what kind of help can you get that people are already like, you know, <laughs> they need help themselves. So it's just like so crazy how it's, unresponsive like healthcare is unreal really unresponsive as far as like mental health here they don't really well they of course if you tell them somebody's getting suicidal or somebody's attempting suicide they will help you right away they will lock you in for 72 hours like you said but then like what what about how they can go on and live their lives after they will not get it off their brain they they really need someone to help them and walk them through these times we we do need someone to help us in those times and to walk us through and help, people who have been there in the past to be voices of lived experience and lived expertise to help people get through the, that those painful moments and uh you know to to kind of put it put it to make a point from your inquiry is like you know there are holistic ways to balance your brain health. I take medication every day with 100% accuracy at the same time every day, but I'm lucky enough that I've found medication that that helps me. Because when I'm not on medication, I have hallucinations, auditory and visual. I have paranoid delusions where people have to get me trying to hurt me and trying to kill me. I, I have delusions of grandeur. I'm all over the map. When I'm on meds and I exercise every day, eat anti-inflammatory foods, educate myself as to my diagnosis, educate those around me as to my diagnosis with the book, Loving Someone with Bipolar Disorder or Bipolar for Dummies. When I, when I then, then I go and I do talk therapy uh, on a, on a, on a, on a monthly basis. And I, in that therapy session, I make active achievable goals in that session that by the next session, I've achieved those goals and I feel some sense of accomplishment. They don't have to be massive, huge goals. They can be simple things that you want to do to get through that make you feel like you've had that moment of accomplishment, that feeling of accomplishment, that feeling like you moved the needle forward. Uh, And then from there, I meditate. 
I, I, as I said, I take medication. Uh, I do all of these things. I use coping strategies, things that help me stay stable. So what does that mean? That means I go and I find interpersonal connections with people that I love and care about. And I'm constantly on FaceTime talking to my best friends, my family, my loved ones. And we're having an emotional conversation about what we're going through in life and how we can best support each other. It's incredible. Um, and then, you know, um, when I had an emotional support animal, my dog, Max, he was incredible. He was a Sharpay, you know, the one with all those wrinkles. And, and uh, you know, he passed away. But when he was my emotional support animal, I would take him to gigs and people would love him. And it was incredible. And he'd come on the planes with me. And it was just a beautiful experience. And when I was having a hard time with brain pain, Max would put his muzzle or his little nose on my left knee and he would stare right in my eyes. And he would not look away from my eyes until the depression was lifted. It was unbelievable. Um, and he was the, the most beautiful dog. And he knew when I was depressed and he knew how to help me get out of it. I mean, it, animals are, are so beautiful that way. Uh, and then, you know, I do all of these 10 steps to stabilize my brain to better my brain health. And here I am today, able to have this conversation with you without psychosis, right? Because I've done the work. Nobody wants to do the work anymore. Everybody wants the uberfication of their life and themselves to get better because of one thing. They want that one pill or that one shot or that one exercise. That's not how life works. You have to get to a point in your instability where you have to say, I am going to fight for my wellness. And then you have to put in the work day by day, even if you don't want to. If you don't want to go to the gym, if you don't want to get to the ground and get to work, if you don't want to do yoga, if you don't want to do Pilates, do it anyway. If you're physically capable, by God, you are so lucky to be physically capable. You have a gift. Get down and get to work. And then you want to eat anti-inflammatory foods that feed and nourish your brain and your body and your gut microbiome, which houses all your body and brain serotonin, which affects your mental well-being. So if you're eating poorly, you're damaging your brain at the, at the cellular level. Very important to know, not many people understand that. One of the best books on that topic is Dr. Will Cole's The Inflammation Spectrum. You can take a test in that book to determine how high you are on the inflammation spectrum to understand where you need to change your diet to. And one of the best, I don't want to call it diet, one of the best ways of eating is through the Mediterranean uh, uh, ideology of eating. And it's fishes, lean meats, uh, vegetables from the ground, things that are whole and natural are the best ways to go, as you well know, uh, because they nourish your brain, not just your body, which is crucial to your mental well-being and your brain pain if you have it. So there's all of these things you can do to balance yourself, but people don't want to do the work. They want things to just change. And people I see are always like, woe is me. It's all, you know, why is this all happening to me? I used to be that person. I used to be the guy that was in so much lethal emotional pain before my attempt off the Golden Gate Bridge. I said, woe is me. It's all, you know, why is this happening to me? Why do I have to have this disease? You know, what I didn't do at the time was say, what can I do to change my perspective so I can survive my pain? And that's where people get it wrong is you need to change your perspective. You need to look at things like, because if you have a negative mindset, if you say repeatedly to yourself in the mirror that you're dumb, stupid, fat, ugly, what are you going to believe? You're going to believe that stuff. But if you look in the mirror and you go, you are beautiful, you are gorgeous, you are amazing, you are the greatest, you are phenomenal, I love you, and you do that every day, 
eventually you'll believe it. Why? Because when you recite something, when you repeat something, you believe it. And that's why this the, the idea of this bullying of other people towards someone in grade school or high school, or even as an adult in a, in a colleague structure or work structure, when, when someone bullies another person or a group of people bully another person, that person internalizes that stuff. They go home. They say it to themselves in the mirror. They perpetuate that design and then they self-loathe and then they take their lives. If we just went home after bullying and said, no, forget what those fools said. You're amazing and I love you. Keep being you. You're going to believe that instead. And so we need to teach people how to be, especially kids, how to be resilient in the face of pain. That's what we've lost in this, in this country. People are so uber focused on their devices and the content that's pushed out, a lot of it negative, a lot of it dangerous, a lot of it terrible for children, that, that they believe this device, that, that mobile device is what matters and it doesn't. Look, you and me, we create media that changes lives for the better, right? We create media that gives people a gift of a solution to a problem. If they realize that they could ignore the negative media and take in the positive media, they would better their lives. That's why a conversation like this is so important. So true. Yeah, mental health awareness, it's very important. And like you said, God is connected to our brain. And Dr. Wilkel was on my podcast too. I love his oh. book, Fiber Fuel. And yeah, it's like I love his strategies and what he explains in the book. It's it's very easy to navigate and it's kind of easy to do if, if you follow the instructions. Yeah, and it has a tremendous impact, right? Yeah, it does. Your skin gets better, your your body gets better, your brain feels better, you don't feel lethargic, you don't feel you don't feel brain fog. It's it's incredible. So true. And when you were standing on that bridge, what did you feel? And how how did it even happen that you got saved jumping from such a high bridge? So to put context to it, in the year 2000, because of that same bipolar depression, I was so I was in such a dark, a dark place and such darkness that I leapt off the Golden Gate Bridge to try to take my life. The bridge you see behind me. Um, I did that because at the time I believed I was useless. At the time, I felt worthless. And at the time, I thought I was a burden to everybody who loved me. I thought everybody who loved me hated me and wanted me gone. Couldn't have been the furthest thing from the truth. The greatest lie I ever told myself was that nobody cared. Somebody always cares. And if you're out there watching this right now or listening to this podcast, we care. DM us. We'll be there for moral support. Suicide is never the solution to your problem. It is the problem. We are valued. We are loved. We are worthy. And we matter. And you matter to us. Instead of taking your life, instead of attempting to take your life, say, I need help now. And I've said this before, I'll say it again. Maybe it's not the first, second, third, fourth, fifth person that gets your back because not everybody's willing or able to empathize with that kind of pain. But by the sheer probability of the number of people you turn to, someone will be willing to get your back. The answer is not suicide. The answer is to ask for help as often and as many times as you can until you get it. And for all the people that are well, 
all the people doing good, as I said earlier, don't wait for someone in brain pain to reach out. Go on ahead and reach in. Call the person, text the person, FaceTime the person if they're okay with it. Do whatever you can to reach them and meet them where they are at. You don't know what people are really going through, but you can, you can reach out and say, I got your back. We've had recently some, some few celebrity people die by suicide and it's always tragic. It's always painful uh, for the people who love them, for their fans, uh, for their families, most importantly, and their, and their, their closest friends and allies and colleagues. Um, but we also have to consider all the people that have died this week that no one's talking about. All the individuals who go nameless and somewhat forgotten by the public eye. 1,400 teens attempt suicide every single day. We have to curb that. We have to stop it. And that means the only way to stop it is by lacking any judgment for people in pain so that they feel comfortable saying those words, I need help now. If the general public can get around this idea of, of kindness and compassion, your kind words to a stranger could shape the rest of their life. It could save it. Your words and your actions towards other people matter. That's why it drives me absolutely bananas when these kids write online cyberbullying to someone else to take their life. The person you just told to take their life has a mother and a father, a sister and a brother, a family, a friend, a spouse, a loved one, a fiance. Don't you care about the fact that they go ahead and take their lives because you told them to? You don't want that blood on your hands. And if you've ever doing it, if you've ever done that, I'm not, I'm not demonizing you. I'm saying here's a time for you to change your ways. You're a thousand times greater than the worst thing you've ever done. Change now. I'm not perfect. I've messed up a thousand times, but I work tirelessly to get better, to be better, to do better. So do better one day at a time. When you jump from that bridge and you already knew that you're going to fall and there is no way back, what did you think? I mean, I've, of course, you, you said you regret it, but how did you even get saved from such a high? Right on the way down. God, please save me. I don't want to die. What have I just done? I hit the water. I went down 70 feet beneath the water surface. I opened my eyes and I was drowning. I... I shot to the surface as fast as my arms would take me. I got closer and closer to the surface of the water after jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge, uh, the most common place for suicide in the world. I got to the, 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 the break in the water. I got above the water. I took a breath, went back down, and I kept coming up and going down. I couldn't stay above water. So I go down one more time. I don't think I'm going to make it. I think this is it. This is where I go. And nobody, nobody is going to know that I don't want to die. No one's going to know that I knew I made a mistake. What have I just done? And that's when something begins to circle beneath me. Something very large, very slimy, and very alive. And I remember freaking out because I was like, you got to be kidding me. I didn't die jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge and a shark's going to eat me? Come on. But it turned out to be no shark at all. It was, in fact, a sea lion. And the people above looking down, leave it to be keeping my body afloat until the Coast Guard boat arrived behind me. It was circling beneath me, hitting my shoulders and my, and my elbows and my knees. 
bumping me to the surface, keeping me afloat. I wasn't even treading. I wasn't wading in the water. I was lying atop it on my back. And people have mis misreported that it was a dolphin and all this other stuff, but it's not true. There was a man named Morgan who witnessed it very specifically. I won't say his last name. He wrote to me, has pictures, told me it was a sea lion. Incredible. Uh, and, and there were several witnesses that went to the, the Coast Guard office that day and said the very same thing. So it was a sea lion, saved my life, kept me afloat. I've since named him Herbert because I wanted to give it a, a, a likeness to someone. It was my favorite name besides Kevin. So I thought, why not? And uh, Herbert saved my life before anybody else did. Coast Guard pulled me out of the water. They secondarily saved my life. They got me to the ambulance, tertiarily saved my life, and to the hospital. Uh, they got me uh, to one of the foremost back surgeons on the West Coast who uh, performed my back surgery, the first and only of its particular kind. He went in and replaced my shattered vertebrae with titanium. I'm the bionic man, and I get the privilege to stand, walk, and run. And of the 39, of the now 40 Golden Gate Bridge jump survivors, the numbers recently changed. Of the 40 Golden Gate Bridge jump survivors, five of us get the honor to stand, walk, and run. They call us the most exclusive survivors club in the world. There's a book of the same name by Ben Sherwood. I get to be here. That's a gift. Wow, that's a miracle. Yeah. You so are definitely a miracle. You also written the book, yeah, and you would love to know more about your book. Absolutely. Uh, a couple of books I've written are called, the first book I wrote was called Crack Not Broken, Surviving and Thriving After a Suicide Attempt. It's out now on my website, kevinhindstory.com slash shop. It's the first thing in the shop. I, I'll sign it for you if you want me to. If you want me to leave, um, if you want me to leave a, a, a message to you very particularly, just re, you know, send an email to the website, kevinhindstory.com, and we can make that happen. And then uh, um, we have T-shirts like this that say "Be Here Tomorrow" and all kinds of other designs. Uh, some of them with the sea lion on them, and so it's really cool. Um, and uh, the the funds earned from that go to Zero Suicide, so we give those right back to the community um, of suicide prevention. And then uh, uh, the book I wrote, the next book I wrote is called, that I co-wrote is called The Third Rail in My Mania I Became. And it's the story of Jesse Cohen. Jesse Cohen was a Tulane law student in the um, height of the crime era in, in uh, New Orleans. And he lived an incredible life. It's called In My Mania... I became because he was, he was a law student and a lawyer by day and a vigilante by night. He was basically Batman. He went out listening to police scanners and he would stop crimes before they happened. He was incredible. Um, got a lot of trouble with the law because of that, but the book, it, it, you, you read that book in an hour. It's incredible. Uh, and, and, and Jesse's story is, is beautiful and powerful. Um, and it means a lot to me because he became a great brother of mine, a great friend. And I got the privilege to write that book with him. Um, Jesse has since passed away by suicide. Um, and uh, even though he passed away by suicide, his book is incredibly hopeful, incredibly hopeful. The third rail in my mania I became. Uh, and the, I'm working on a new book, uh, my second memoir called The Art of Being Broken, uh, a kind of a sequel to Crack Not Broken. And that book uh, will be out in September of, 20, of 2023. That's amazing. And recently I saw on CNN that you and Sanjay Gupta were discussing that 
huge project that you were doing to prevent the suicide from uh, Golden Gate Bridge. You were placing the net. And when is it coming up? So a great group of like-minded people got together a long time ago and decided we are going to stop the suicides at the Golden Gate Bridge once and for all. My father, Paul Muller, and Dave Hall, and myself founded the Bridge Rail Foundation. And the Bridge Rail Foundation's sole purpose was to raise a net or rail at the Golden Gate Bridge and stop the suicides there. Tireless work 22 years later from people from all walks of life, people who have lost loved ones to suicide, their sons and their daughters, their fiancés, their loved ones, got together and fought every single month at the Bridge Directorate. We put forth an effort to stop the suicides there. As of 2023, likely in December, not one more person will ever again die off the Golden Gate Bridge you see behind me. And it will finally become the largest, brightest, and most powerful beacon for suicide prevention right around the world. We're making a film right now called The Net about that process, about who is in the in the effort to make this happen, about the help of the bridge directorate that 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 saw it through, about the iron workers, about everyone involved who are trying to give back to our community and say no more will we watch silently as tens of people die every year off that bridge. It will no longer be a harbinger of death. Yeah, as I know, that bridge took so many lives too, even like before your story. And it was such a crazy place where everyone would jump off and try to suicide. So, I mean, it's such a great cause that you guys do. I really admire you. But if people people want to help that cause... Just go to bridgerail.net, bridgerail.net. And now the Bridge Rail Foundation, my father co-founded, will be helping bridges, tall buildings and structures and railways save lives by deterrent nets or railings all over the world. Wow, I love it. And when you know someone or someone is trying to kind of commit suicide or probably even might, and they don't want to accept help, what should you do in this case? So if you know someone who's considering dying by suicide, I want you to, I want you to do something very specific. I want you to gather three to five of their closest allies and write them a handwritten letter. That letter is called a caring letter and it matters. Dr. Jerry Motto, was a 1970s psychiatrist, head of psychiatry at the VA in San Francisco back in the day. And he and his wife created the caring letters. And the caring letters are comprised of sentences about love for that person, uh, compassion, empathy, lack of judgment, and all the signs, symptoms, and triggers you're worried about in them, what they're dealing with. You get five people to write a similar letter. You mail it to them physically. Who doesn't like getting mail when it's not a bill? It's like a gift. You get that mail. You couple it with a caring package, all of that person's favorite things in a basket, their favorite food, their favorite candy, their favorite whatever. Put it in a basket, top it off with those letters, send it in the mail. Do it for Christmas. Do it this Christmas. Do it for Hanukkah. Do it for Kwanzaa. Do it for holiday season. Just do it. To the people you know are struggling or you think may be struggling, you could save their life. Because what happens is the person who is in denial of their brain health struggle, 
who reads letters from five people that say they're going through a brain health struggle, it opens their minds, opens their hearts, opens their eyes to their struggle. And they may very well come out of it going, okay, I need help now. And also so many people do it so silently that you would not even expect it. I was at the party one day and one girl came up to me and she said her husband took his own life by, I, I think he overdosed, not sure. But he, I mean, she would never tell that he would be suicidal or he never acted like that. He was always happy and he was always a normal, happy person. And one day that happened to him. What should you do in this case when someone does this in your family or someone you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, first we have to understand that no matter what someone has financially, no matter what uh, successive they, they successes they've experienced, no matter how happy they seem on the outside, we never truly know what someone's going through on the inside. Uh, so that that's why when you see someone who who uh, when you have a situation where you lose someone to suicide, someone you love, someone you know, someone you care about, or a colleague that you're close with. You have to sit around a table and talk about that person. You have to say all of the good memories about that person. And you have to encourage people around you to not shy away from talking about that person. You don't always have to talk about how they died, but talk about how they lived before they were in that pain. I I, I like to do something for the people I've lost to suicide, for a lot of them. I like to celebrate their birthday. I like to honor their memory. And on that day with that cake and a candle to myself and my wife and that one person, I, I recount the good times. I'm not allowing myself to talk about the bad times, only recounting the good times. I miss Jesse very much, but his book immortalizes him in a way that's beautiful, that's safe, that's effective, and that helps other people. I want you to consider if you've lost someone, recognizing immediately that it's not your fault. They didn't die in spite of you. They didn't die because of you. They died because of a lethal emotional pain that had nothing to do with you. Remember that. That weight is not yours to carry. That's too much weight for anyone to bear. I love how you said it because sometimes we blame ourselves if we've done something wrong or we could have done something better. It's not our fault. It's just the person had their issues they were not sharing with anyone and they decided to do so. So you can't be responsible for someone's action. Why do you think suicide is not a selfish act or it is a selfish act? I, I know that suicide is not a selfish act. To be selfish, you have to know you're hurting other people. You have to know you're doing damage. People who die by suicide aren't trying to hurt the people they're leaving behind. They're trying to stop the pain. They don't want to die. They believe they have to. And those are two categorically different things. They believe they have no other choice because they believe that pain is never going away. What they can't comprehend as it is that with a great deal of hard work, they can find themselves on the other end of that diagram, that end of hope, happiness, love, and, and wellness, as opposed to that place of darkness, destruction, hate, and pain. They can't see this side. We, as people who are sane and well, have to show them that they can meet it.
And how do you stay mentally healthy? I know you um, shared before that it's keeping your nutrition, exercising, and trying to stay away from phone and all these basic things. But what are the other ways? I mean, the other ways are just talking to my family and friends and letting them know how much I love them. And by telling them how much I love them, they tell me how much they love me. You know, um, but for the people who don't have that kind of support network, look in the mirror. I say, I love you. You're beautiful. You're amazing. You're the best. Don't forget it. It sounds goofy when you say it to a mirror, but it actually retrains your brain. So do it. Do that one thing every day and you will feel better. I promise you. I do that and so much more. If you want to learn all of my tips and tricks to better balancing your brain health, Go to youtube.com slash Kevin Hines, type in, go to the playlist mental health hacks or the playlist ask Kev over 30 mental health hacks, over 30 ask Kevs where people from all over the world ask me questions. I answer them to the best of my ability on brain and mental health. I do it in a way that's effective and hopeful. I do it in a way that's educational and entertaining. Um, and then the, the mental health hacks are simple things you can do to better balance your brain health right now. Anyone can do them. I think there are like 36 of them. Go look through them and start doing them. You will see the improvement within just a few months. And if you follow the Art of Wellness 2.0 on YouTube and follow that video, 10 steps to balance your brain health. People, thousands of people from around the world are saying that they uh, see a, a, a massive improvement in their better brain health in six to nine months from following that program. Put in the work, you'll see the change. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Kevin, for sharing your story. Such an amazing conversation. And where can our listeners find you? Social handles, all the information? Of course. Uh, so find me at Kevin Hines Story on all socials, specifically Instagram. I, I answer all those DMs. Find me at youtube.com slash Kevin Hines. Um, I have, I think we have 640 videos all designed to better your brain health. Take them, they're free, they're yours. Uh, and then, uh, you know, um, we make documentaries. So check out uh, the kevinhinesstory.com website and check out our shop in case you want to get any of that gear. Because when you walk into a place with a beer tomorrow shirt on or a Hope Help Heels shirt on, uh, or a conquer your pain, someone's going to ask you what that shirt means, and then you get to have a conversation about what it means to you. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Kevin. Thank you. Thank for you for having me. I really appreciate it. Nice to meet you again. Thank you. Nice to meet you. That was all for today, guys. I hope you really enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Not Basic Blonde podcast is available on all the major platforms with new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. To support the show, Tag NBB Podcast on your Instagram stories and check out more behind the scenes on Instagram as well at notbasicblonde underscore or NBB Podcast. And if you haven't, subscribe, rate, and review Not Basic Blonde Podcast on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much, guys. Have a great day. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.